Westover, because of your kindness, every day this year, we are feeding 1,307 children every day around the world. In third world countries, where these kids don't, there's no social agency to take care of them, you have stepped in, and because of your kindness, I will tell you, 1,307 children will have meals today because of you. Well, in light of that, as we think about the One Day to Feed the World emphasis this month, we're going to do an entire series on kindness. And we're calling this series an altogether series. By that I mean our kids in kids' ministry right now, our students, middle school and high school right now in their respective services, everyone on this campus on all age levels are going to be looking at the same verses in the Bible, the same message, and the same theme. So, all together, the entire church is on this theme right now. In fact, at lunch today, or perhaps driving your kids to school tomorrow, or whatever the case may be, in the car, over lunch, over a meal, have a conversation with your family about the subject of kindness, because they're being uh, taught that same lesson you and I are going to share today. So, Make this a family discussion. We want to speak beginning this week and on the subject, kindness heals hurts. Kindness will heal hurts. Recently, I was at a uh, Starbucks getting a cup of coffee. I ordered my coffee, and as you typically do, you go down to the corner, uh, the, the end of the counter, and you wait for your coffee drink to be called out. There were several of us standing around there, and there was one woman, she, I could tell that she was in a hurry. Drinks were coming out, drinks from people were taking their drink and going out their coffee drink. Well, they finally called some drinks, and there were several cups there. This lady rushed forward, and she grabbed the, the, the cup of drink, the coffee that she had, and she took a few steps, and she sipped it, and she stopped. She looked at the cup. And she realized she took the wrong drink after she sipped it. So she walked over on the counter and she set it down, picked up the other drink, and walked out with it. Yes. Yes. Somebody got a used drink that day. I sat there and I, I, I watched this. Somebody, somebody got a used drink that day. I wonder if some of us have a bad taste in our mouth. Hmm. I wonder if an experience, perhaps a coworker that turned on you, you helped them get the job and then they, they, they stabbed you in the back. Do you got a bad taste in your mouth? Every divorcee, there's a pain in your heart where something happened and you thought it was going to be from now on and there was rejection or there was betrayal in some area. Uh, perhaps right now there's there's a, a conflict going on in your world, in your life. And we're taught, you know, today that you have to be hard-hitting and be mean and you're not going to get ahead unless you just drive hard. Have you noticed in America today that it's, it's cool to be mean? Isn't that sad that in America today it's cool to be mean? Hard-hitting, be the tiger mom, you know, just push yourself forward. Don't let anyone get the upper hand on you. Just uh, be, the, be the rude, crude dude in every experience of life. Just be that person. Have you noticed today being called Mr. Nice Guy is not a compliment? That's right. 
If you refer to someone, oh, he's just a Mr. Nice Guy, that is really a put-down in our culture. You see, it's, it's cool to be mean. Do you know somebody that they're so mean that McDonald's won't even sell them a Happy Meal? Do you know somebody that mean? Huh? Did you know somebody that's so mean when you go to text their name, it auto-corrects and it just puts the word mean in there? Do you know somebody that they're that mean? You work with somebody that's just a tyrant, a difficult person to work with? Our politician said a few years ago that we needed a gentler and kinder America. And instead of a gentler, kinder America, it seems that we have fallen prey to insult, disrespect, snark, cynicism, is, is kind of the mantra of today. Shaming has gone viral. And my concern is social media has given people the opportunity, and I think some people think the permission to just vent and voice their disapproval on anything and anyone 24-7. It seems like we are just inundated with, with all of the negative and all of the un unhealthy things in our culture today america is not getting gentler and kinder oh we go back to what darwin told told us survival of the fittest he said in his evolutionary theory the only way to get ahead guess what you got to eat somebody before they eat you you got to step on somebody. You, you just got to push your way forward, and you've got to conquer or be conquered. But deep down inside, all of us know that's not true. Deep down, we know that selflessness, kindness, and caring is really the way life should be and is a door to a richer life. In Jewish writings, it stated that in the mother's womb, a person knows the universe, but at birth, they forget it. Yes, innately, inside of every one of us, we know that, that there's a better way to do life. We were taught that in kindergarten, in the sandbox. We learned the crucial lessons of life. Be kind to others. And somehow, today in America, we have forgotten that. We have, we have lost that. And kindness, kindness is, some of us, we've kind of dismissed it. And I want to suggest perhaps we have a wrong definition of kindness, wrong understanding. Kindness is not acquiescence. Kindness is not just letting yourself be the doormat. Uh, kindness is, is not just surrendering to let somebody step on you and abuse you. Oh, no, that's not kindness. K kindness is not niceness. Some of us, that's what we think it is. Kindness is no more than just manners. It's great to have manners, and everyone should have that and teach that to your children. But kindness is not niceness. You know, somebody can be nice and not kind. So, so somebody can become the salesman of the month and be an abusive spouse. Some, somebody can, can be the most popular person on campus and really be vicious and ugly and disrespectful to others. Niceness is, is not kindness. Ki kindness is something different. Now, you can be nice and not be kind, but you can't be kind without being nice. So what is kindness? Kindness, our word, comes from the, from the word kindred or kinship. Huh. 
kindred or kinship. It's teaching us something about kindness. Kindred, kinship, somebody you're related to. It's, it's the idea. Have you ever seen a, a, a parents that have a, a new baby? Oh, they, they treat that baby so carefully. Oh, be careful. Don't let, don't let that baby's head fall. Go. And we, we, we guard and we protect. If it's raining, you'll see the parent just lean over and protect that baby from the raindrops. If it's windy, they'll, they'll protect the, the baby from the wind. It's little tots, little kids. Have you ever noticed we, we speak to them different than we speak to adults? When we talk to children, we talk in nicer tones. We begin to explain ourselves and we talk in a tone that is gracious and becoming. That's the idea behind the word kindness to begin with. The idea of kindness is that you will filter your emotions, you will protect, you will, as it were, somebody that was dear to you, as it were, it was a kindred, they were kinship to you, you will protect, you will guard, you will do whatever it takes in order to take care of them, you give of yourself for others. That's what kindness is. And I want to suggest to us, that's what God wants every one of us to do. And we're going to realize Kindness heals hurts. I want you to join me in your Westover app if you'll turn there. If you have your Bible, join me in Luke chapter number 10. This is a parable called the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, you may not know anything about the Bible, but you probably know something about the Good Samaritan. You've heard it referred to. Sometimes they even have nursing homes or care centers called the Good Samaritan Center. It's, it's a verbiage, and it's an understanding, and it's a definition that's in our culture today. Now, to begin this series, I thought this weekend it would be good if we read the entire parable to set kind of a basis. Now, as we go through the, the month, I will break it down, and I will look at different parts and different verses in here. But to begin this series, we're going to read the entire parable that Jesus gives. Now, to understand the parable, you need to realize this. Jesus is giving this parable to a question that's asked. Jesus has already said that you should love your neighbor as yourself. And somebody asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? And to that question, Jesus gives us this parable. It's the answer to that question. Now, to fully appreciate the parable of the Good Samaritan, we need to understand that a Samaritan in Israel in this particular time was really considered second-class citizenship. Yes. In fact, this story is filled with crime, violence, racial discrimination. It would make a good movie. It would make a good movie. All of that is right here in the story and the Samaritan is somebody that, that a Jewish person would not even give the time of day to. And he's deposited intentionally in this parable by Jesus to teach us a lesson. Who is our neighbor? Let's begin reading at verse number 30. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and was attacked by bandits. When they stripped him of his clothes, they beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. 
By chance, a priest came along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed on the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I will pay you the next time I'm here. Now, this is Jesus talking, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits, Jesus asked. Verse 37, the man replied, the one who showed mercy or kindness. He was the true neighbor. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now go and do the same. You see, kindness heals hurts. That's the, that's the truth that we can grasp on today. And in your world, there are pains. There are people hurting. Perhaps you work with somebody that's suffering from PTSD. That can be a torturing experience. Perhaps there's somebody that you're associated with in the family or a coworker, and they're going through the pain of separation and divorce right now. Oh, the pain of that rejection seems to, to wound the soul. There's somebody that's going to come to work this week that you're going to see and you think they're aloof and they're not friendly. Perhaps they didn't even sleep that night. Perhaps their daughter didn't even come home. Going through pain, going through rejection, uh, a divorcee who, who, who's now under, under the heel of, of financial distress because of the divorce and trying just to keep their head above water. There's, there's a lady who's never felt accepted by by her in-laws, always felt like that she was never received and never celebrated. All of that pain in people's lives. Do you know there's pain here today? Pain parked a car and walked down the hallways of the church today. Came into this auditorium. Walked down the aisles. Somewhere close by, within touching distance where you're at today, there is pain. Somebody is hurt and wounded, scarred. They, they, they feel the rejection on the inside. There is, there is pain in people's lives. And again, I suggest to us, Jesus is teaching us that kindness heals the hurts. And as followers of Jesus, from God's word, I want to drop two truths in our heart today as it relates to kindness. The first one I want to share with us is for followers of Christ, is kindness must shape and define us. Kindness must shape and define us. We often say through experiences we go through in life, it'll either make you or break you, and that is so true. It will either make us or break us. Pain, difficulties, conflict, turmoil, Makes us or breaks us. And some of us, it got inside of us. And it's changed who we are. It has shaped and defined who we have become. 
There was a time in a playground when you were a kid. You were the friendliest, most outgoing person there is. But now you live in a closet behind a wall, defensive to protect yourself because your pain has shaped you. Have you ever seen somebody shaped by sadness to the point where they, they never got over a loss, a pain, a heartbreak, and, and it, just, it just controlled them? Unhappiness, it can shape you. You, you live with unhappiness. You're unhappy all the time. It can be de- begin to define everything you are and everything you see. You can, you can have an unhappy experience, a broken experience come in your life, then all of a sudden, n- nothing's good. There's, the traffic's the worst on 1604. You have the worst kids. You live in the worst subdivision. You drive the worst car. Yeah, they didn't give you enough ice in your iced tea yesterday when you went out to eat. And, 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 and you, didn't, you had to ask twice for a straw, and it upset you. And the whole meal was, was ruined by the fact you couldn't get the chair you wanted. And we can just live in unhappiness, and it will begin to magnify in our life. It shapes us and defines us. But I want to suggest that Jesus is teaching us kindness can shape us and define us do you know they tell us right now in the studies of of happiness that that if you will intentionally every day for two minutes if you will do something kind for somebody for two minutes a day in 21 days you become more positive in your outlook why because if you will do it there's just something fulfilling it 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 begins to warm it just that altruistic feeling just it it brings the best out on you then all of a sudden you begin to see the best in others and it changes your perspective just being kind that's what god is telling us it was the samaritan who didn't pass by Who didn't walk by this individual? He was willing to be kind. And it it shaped who he was. The book of Proverbs chapter 15. I'll just reference it. It says that kindness can turn away wrath and anger. It turns away wrath and anger. But, But an angry response will only make it worse. We know that in life. If, if, if you fight fire with fire, we always lose. We'll always lose. If, somebody, if somebody's abrupt and rude and abrasive with you, a family member, a co-worker, the, if they're abrasive and you respond with more abrasiveness or rudeness, if you try to out-shout or out-mean them, it accelerates. And it tells us something about anger. Anger always we, in, in anger, we lose our objectivity. We get caught in it. We, we kind of get sucked into that, and we justify it, and it will spoil and ruin our entire day. But you know what psychologists discovered? Exactly what Proverbs said all along, that kindness will turn away wrath. They tell us literally kindness makes us more objective. When you become, when you do something kind, and all of a sudden you'll find yourself, you know what, I, I, I could do a little more than that. You know what, I, I understand what they're going through. I realize maybe they had a bad day. And the, the kind act actually makes us more broad-minded. It gives us objectivity in the conflict. Let me put it to us this way. I believe that kindness is the innuendo of God. The innuendo of God. 
You go to the workplace tomorrow, and, and instead of pausing in the car before you walk in and getting your mat on and getting your defensive and they're not going to talk to me and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk this way so I don't have to see this person and I, I'm going to do this and I'm going to beat them to that and they're not going to get the spot and they, you know, all of that embroiling conflict. If you'll pause for a moment and walk in with a smile, be kind to somebody, open the door for them, turn on the copy machine for them, pour them the cup of coffee, take it to them. You'd like to put strychnine in it, but you don't do that. You just, you just hand it to them, okay? If you'll, just, if you'll begin to do it with kindness, then all of a sudden it becomes what I call the innuendo of God. People sense there's something better and different about you. You know who I'm talking about. Some of say, they're like an angel. They're like, a, there's something special about them. There's, that, that, that's not just human learn. It's not just their personality. There is something about them. And the innuendo of God begins to show up in that setting and those persons' lives. You see, we can't always see people's pain, but they can always see our kindness. And I invite you, and that work conflict and that, that home conflict, if, if, if you've got a stepson or a stepdaughter, and instead of I'm going to put my foot down and I, I'm just I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rule and I'm, gonna make, I'm just going to pound it and I'm going to get it through, I, I want to invite you. It hasn't worked in the past. Would you respond with kindness? Kindness heals the hurts. The scripture tells us in the book of Ephesians chapter number 4 verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Wow, I like that. God extended kindness to me. My, with, with, with my failures, my arrogance, my pride, my, 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 my blockheadedness and all the issues I have, God extended kindness, forgave me. I should do the same for others. You can win the day with kindness. You can win the moment with kindness. Let kindness shape you. Let kindness define you. Number two, I share with you. To love correctly is to live kindly. To love correctly. The Bible says love your neighbors yourself. Well, what does that mean? Love correctly. Come on. And particularly, guys, we, we struggle with this. You know, love them. You know, I don't know. That's kind of a weird thing. I'm not going to go to my, my coworker buddy say, I love you. That, that feels weird. Doesn't it, guy? Come on. That feels weird. What does that translate into? What does that mean? To love correctly is just to live kindly. Just live kindly. Take time to listen. See something good in them. I'm talking about opening a door. I'm talking about when you go out to eat today, give a genuine tip. Because many times the wait staff at these restaurants, they're single parents or students. And they'll remember, the one person they'll talk about is that person that was generous with their tip. Yes. It's the kind word. It's the, it's the time that you 
that you recognize something in them and you compliment something in them. When you tell them thank you for what you do, even if you don't owe them a thank you, even if it's their job, even if you pay them, even if they're paid to do it, but you express kindness, the innuendo of God is there. Wow, they're kind. There's something special about them. Back in the 60s, there was a song that was sung, made the top charge. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's the one thing there's just not enough of. If there was a song that needed to be written and sung today, it would be this. What America needs now is kindness. That's the one thing there's just not enough of. In social media, hallways, highways, and homes. Kindness. I want to share a story with you. It's a true story. In New York, there's the Cush School. The Cush School is a school for children with learning disabilities. Some children go to Cush School, and after a few years, they can segue into the conventional school system and do very well and succeed there. But there are some kids in the Cush School that will spend all of their school age years in that school because they just cannot function in the normal conventional school environment because of their learning disabilities. The school had a fundraiser. People were invited to come. It was a dinner. They invited one of the fathers, one of the children in the Cush school to make some remarks. He went to the microphone and after a few pleasantries and thanking the workers and naming them off for all they do for the kids all year long, the father made a comment that was startling and piercing in that audience. He said, he said, my son, Kaya, he can't remember numbers and information like every other child. He, he doesn't have the privilege to be, to be normal like many of your children. And then he asked this piercing question. He says, I want to know. God does everything with perfection. What is the perfection God had in mind when he created my son, Kaya? There was a chilling silence in the room. Then Kaya's father told this story. He said, I was walking down the road one day with my son, Kaya. We passed by a field, and there were some boys playing baseball. My son, Kaya, said, Dad, can I play baseball? Will they let me play? I want to play baseball. See, Kaya had never played baseball. He had never had a glove on. He had never held a bat. His dad said, I didn't want to walk over there. I didn't want to have him to feel rejection again. But he thought, oh, oh, if they would let him play, this would be a memorable day. So the father just took the boldness and walked over to the boys on the field and just asked them, can my son Kaya play? When the players kind of looked around at the other players trying to get a direction on what to say or do, and none of the other boys spoke up. He said, well, he said, we're in the eighth inning and we're down six points. Yeah, he can play on our team, and we'll let him bat in the ninth. Kaya was delighted. They gave him a glove, and they positioned him in short center field. 
There was Kaya on the field. Well, the bottom of the eighth, eighth, that team came up to bat, down six points. They made a couple runs in the eighth inning. Now they go into the ninth inning. Now it's the bottom of the ninth. They made another run. Two outs. Bases loaded. The winning run is on the base. And it's Kaya's turn to bat. Would they let Kaya bat? Kaya walked out with the bat. He had never held one before. He didn't even know what end to hold the bat. He walks out to the home plate. He kind of in an awkward way held the bat. The pitcher took a couple steps forward and lobbed a very soft ball towards Kaya. He took a clumsy swing. Of course, he missed. Didn't even make contact. They knew the game was going to be thrown by letting Kyla have a bat. Two outs. Then all of a sudden, out of the dugout came one of the other players, stepped up behind Kaya, wrapped his arms around him, and now there were four hands on the bat, and they pulled the bat out back. The pitcher, he took a couple more steps forward, and he lobbed a softball right towards Kaya. With four hands on the bat, the bat swung and made contact. It was a soft grounder right to the pitcher. The pitcher grabbed the ball. He throws it to first. It's out, and they win the game. The pitcher did something. He took that ball in the highest arch he could. He threw it over the first baseman's head way out to right field. Then all of a sudden, Kaya's teammates said, Run, Kaya, run. And Kaya began to walk, run down the first baseline. And for the first time in his life, he put his foot on first base. Well, the right field player He'd retrieved the ball by then, but he understood what the pitcher was doing. So he, as hard as he could, he threw the ball across the field over the third baseman's head. And then all of a sudden, team members were saying, Kaya, go to second, go to second, Kaya. Kaya pointed himself, and he went to second. By the time he hit second, the shortstop turned him and pointed him to third base. Run, Kaya, run. Kaya ran to the third base. By the time he was at the third base, there were 18 boys. Nine players from both teams were around Kaya, cheering him on. Run home, Kaya, run home. And they watched Kaya take step after step down that third baseline and put his foot on home plate. It was a grand slam. Yes. They lifted him up, 18 boys, nine boys from each team, and they began to cheer Kaya. He'd won the game. After telling that story,
after telling that story, this is what Caius' dad said to the audience at the fundraiser. He said, that is the purpose why God created my little Kaya to see how other people would respond and give them the opportunity to experience a higher life through being kind. Yes. Jesus said, verse 37, yes, you go do the same. I was a boy. We used to play a game outside called tag. There was a base, and you run around chasing one another. You could get to base, you were free. But if somebody tagged you before you got to base, we said, Tag, you're it. I think that's exactly what Jesus said. Verse 37. I think that's what Jesus said after he gave us this parable. Verse 37, he said, go and do likewise. Go and do the same. Tag, you're it. Now in your workplace, in your community, to your neighbor, to your brother-in-law that you don't like, he borrowed your truck and put a scratch on it, never made it right. That you, you show kindness. You show kindness. Go. Tag. You're it. Why? Because kindness heals hurts. And that's the business God is in. That's the business God is in. I'm going to invite you to stand with me right now. If you'll indulge me for just a moment across this auditorium, balcony and main floor, if you'll just close your eyes for a moment. I sensed, I sense hurt walked in here. And that hurt has shaped and defined some of us. It's a label. You, you see yourself as broken. You see yourself as wounded. Perhaps you see yourself as incomplete, wounded. Hmm. Was it a former spouse that did it? Was it a best friend? Was it a coworker? Who? Where did it come from? Where did it come from? And you've you pulled away into a shell. You said, I'll never be hurt again. I'll never trust again. I'll, I'll never allow myself to be in that position again. And that pain and that hurt has shaped you. God wants to heal your hurt. God doesn't want you to be defined or shaped by a pain, a heartbreak, a wound, an experience. God sees your life much different and I believe the Holy Spirit is here to heal people and if that's you and you say I've, I've been shaped by something misshapen by something and I need and I want God to heal me if that's you I'm going to invite
invite you right now just to lift your hand across this audience. That's me. going through the pain of divorce, your hand will be up, yes. Some of us right now, we're, we're dreading tomorrow. We're dreading tomorrow what it means because there's a, there's a co-worker, an employer, an employee that just is, is absolutely the, 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 the pain in your life right now. God wants to heal you. God wants to heal you in the mountain. God wants to heal you. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Holy Spirit, lift the pain out of people's hearts. Lift the pain out of people's hearts. Oh God, across this audience right now, God, as we just go in a moment of worship with the Holy Spirit's presence, I'm going to ask you, let, let a presence of God walk down every aisle. Let it just abide in the balcony. There are people going to let go of labels and pain. Going to let go of memories going to let go of experiences. There's dates that are etched in their mind and their spirit when something happened to them. That date, you're going to cleanse that date from their spirit. God, you're going to heal their wounded spirit. Lord, let it be. Oh, Holy Spirit, do that right now. Begin to heal people from the inside out. Let the kindness of God just release the pain, the venom, the hurt, the bitterness, the disappointment that's in your spirit. Oh God, grant it right now in Jesus' name. Oh God, grant it. Let's just, let's take a moment, let the Holy Spirit do that. In 